Welcome back to another podcast. It's Lewis Crathen, your host here at Inside the World of Duotone. And I've got a great guest to talk to today. I'm speaking with Sean Richmond, who's originally from Maui, a professional kite surfer that's competed all around the world, has a top 10 in King of the Air as well. But he now lives in Kenya and he currently is running the Duotone Pro Center, Cabanas Lamu. Welcome, Sean. Cool. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Thanks for joining me. I've been looking a bit um, about what you've been up to out there and I've been trying not to learn too much because I was excited to talk to you today. But please, could you tell us who you are and what is your connection to Duotone? Okay. Who am I? My name is Sean Richman. Uh, I grew up in Maui, Hawaii. Most probably at this point to know my brother, Jesse Richman, um, in the sport. But we both started kiting back in about 2001, 2002, which seems like an eternity ago. I guess we've been kiting for 20 years now. Yeah, the beginning, um, I guess, pretty much almost. When well, did maybe, you start? Oh, I, I was similar, actually, 2002. Similar, you were right with us. 2002, but um, my mind says to me it was the beginning because that was when I saw it here. But I guess it wasn't the beginning for, for you uh, over where. Well, we were only off by, what, maybe three years from actually being a sport before that it was pretty much a science experiment experiment <laughs> tell me about that then so tell me take me back to the start what was that like seeing those guys going for it lou wayman and all those sorts of characters oh, it was amazing uh we were i mean i guess we were really lucky uh to be at the right place at the right time at the birth of the existence of kiting and our father uh jesse and my father we he had a friend who used to he lived in this tiny little apartment um, shack, more more like it, um, where he used to build kites. You literally, you'd walk into his house, and there'd just be all these kites everywhere. And he kind of would get Nash would like tell him to just try this kite, and he, Don Montague would be in there. And this guy was literally just out back sewing kites together. And then these guys would take them onto the water, destroy them in the same day, and come back <laughs> and like, okay, cool, that didn't work. Let's try that again. Um, it was. It was amazing. I mean, these guys, I mean, it, it was back before they really figured out how to stay up when it was more, okay. you'd start 10 miles up the coast and just blast down the coast. Yeah. And you used uh, to watch, then, you used to, were you watching all of this happening, thinking like, what are these guys doing? Or were you watching, thinking, I want to do that? We were learning how to windsurf, actually. Uh, my Our dad was a really good windsurfer, semi-pro windsurfer who competed uh, with the likes of Robbie and Pete. Uh, never at the same level, he would say, but he was a pretty good in the waves. And so he tried to teach us how to windsurf, and we did. You know, we got windsurfing really hard, and we were tiny little kids. Uh, we were down at Kanaha, which is one of the main spots for windsurfing back there, and Every once in a while, we see these weird things go by, and we were we were like, "What is that? That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen." Uh, and then quickly to my dad's uh, disappointment, he was obviously he was good at windsurfing, and he was going to teach his kids and be super cool. We were like, "Well, screw windsurfing. Let's go learn how to do that." And he's like, "All right, let's do this." <laughs> so he he did then teach you kite surfing. He sort of just left the windsurfing behind and thought, "Right, I'll get get my." Uh, sons i imagine just the sons i don't know if you have a sister but just yeah you. we do have a sister uh she never went down the kiting route uh but she, so he he was obviously good at windsurfing he had never done kite surfing but he found a couple friends got us in the right um scene got us at the beach got us gear and yeah he was amazing back in those days i don't know how long it took you to get up wind but honestly it took us probably every single day after school 
for about a year <laughs> to figure out how to get upwind and be self-sufficient. It took me a little while, I guess. But I mean, the, the, I think for me, um, as it was maybe a few years after you that it really came over as a polished sport to some degree that most people okay. were you know i guess you'd your guys out there and girls had put in the effort to finding out how it worked and then it got transported over <laughs> to the shores of other beaches where at least their things were working a bit but but actually my my start was a bit different i couldn't really afford a board for a while so i was just body dragging around for months and doing nice. it that way so yeah it, it did take me some time but it's but it's your story here that I'm I'm really enjoying learning more about. So it took some time to get into it. But did that help having having your brother, um, Jesse, pushing you? Absolutely. And I think I think back at it and how did we progress in the sport? How did we get so much drive? I mean, for the first probably five years, we kited as much as possible. As soon as we figured out how to get up when and we were we were on pretty pretty interesting gear i mean we there's all these old photos uh where we would be in our big boots we were in full-on bindings we'd be on a massive board and i mean i was 12 maybe jesse was nine so we're on a massive board bindings and then our my dad and the instructor who was just a little bit ahead of us i think he could barely stay up when and he was teaching us he would bring the launch the kite bring it down to the water's edge and hand it to us and these were two-line kites. We'd put the wrist leash on. We would never hook in. Uh, we had a harness, and sometimes you'd put it on the to the to the you know the fixed loop. Uh, yeah. There was no chicken loop, you know. There was no deep power, and then we would just go out and try to figure out how to stand up. And wow! Oh, I think cool. that's what took so long. And then we finally got four-line kites. Yeah. We kind of figured out how to get. We got up win on two-line kites. Four-line kites quickly came. And back then, I mean, we were on a 3.5 and a 4.5. I think these wow. were the AR5s or ARXs or whatever they were called. They yeah. were, I mean, they were amazing kites uh, for in that era. All of a sudden, it was like, wow, you can depower. And but really, it was literally like, you know, maybe two inches that you could depower. Yeah, it was uh, enough. It was enough. And having that chicken loop where it wasn't just full power all the time really helped. And... Yeah. And then we just started kiting and kiting our brains out. Mm. I remember one summer, I mean, we we were definitely over 300 days a year. Kiting, 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 kiting. I would reckon probably closer to 330, 340 days. I remember an entire like long summer of school where I only took two days off. And that was because my harness rash was getting so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a, what a nice memory of of being a kid. I mean, that is a time to get into this sport where it sounds like you really had the time. I I think when you're on your, your, the start of your kiteboarding journey, if you can put in day after day after day, it's so much easier to pick it up and, and I guess advance like, like you guys did, uh, in such a short period of time, you it was, you were living for kiteboarding then. Absolutely, we were living for kiteboarding, and then going back to your initial assumption, it was it was Jesse and I really just pushing each other, and it would be oh Jesse because I will put my hand up. Jesse got up win first, and that just really <laughs> irked me. So then I had to get up win, and then you know we would then feed off of each other's energy, and we tried to turn. Like our instructor was all about turning he was a wave rider but we're on twin tips no one really knew you could do um uh directional so we were all about our carving which thinking back on it, i think was a really good foundation to then move further and then we started jumping and it was i think we just progressed so fast because we just were pushing each other 
and it was it was really great i mean i have brothers too and we play lots of sports but they don't kite surf they haven't gone down that route but i know also how that is to have brothers that to push you and i'm going to sort of leap forwards now to sort of uh way ahead because I, I want to know really how you've gone from that uh, incredible insightful beginning of kite surfing over 300 days as a kid um, a year in in, uh, in Maui to, to living in in Kenya now so how has that come about yes well quite a jump in the future and I guess here we go so it is amazing. Um, first off, it's been an amazing ride and an amazing journey. Uh, the main, I guess the main connection is of course my now wife. Uh, I met her in 2012 and we started this amazing long distance relationship and she exposed me to this side of the world. I had done at that point, I had done a lot of professional kite surfing. I traveled the world uh competing or doing photo shoots and all of that but it, it was very different most of my travel up to that point had been kiting based kiting mm-hmm. orientated you'd always end up at a beach you'd always end up near the coast you know what i mean so then yeah. it was amazing to get exposed to a whole another world whole another culture um multiple cultures uh kenya is very tribal and they have amazing diverse culture here with different tribes and it was it was just this eye-opening experience uh and i guess without jumping too far in the future i mean so we we met at that time i had already transitioned a little bit i had i was running my own uh, tree surgery company in maui Mm -hmm. and we thing was going really well i was part-time full um professional kite surfer part-time business owner and running my tree business uh i got married to um anna who's my wife now um and we were living in maui and we were doing these constant trips back and forth to kenya and with that uh anna's mother had done she's done an amazing um uh, job in her life of creating these absolutely unique stunning just jaw-dropping uh places in mm-hmm. in kenya and one of those was this place the cabanas lamu um back then it was known as kizingoni beach that was the name of the actual beach and we were getting exposed to that more and more i'd done lots of trips i'd done some kiting there uh and it was, it's just this amazing location. And I remember it quite clearly. Um, there's also this other, uh, another beautiful property, which we now uh, own and manage, which is up near Mount Kenya. And it's this amazing, beautiful private uh, estate, almost what you would call a country estate in the UK, but mm-hmm. it's in, in the bush. Um, it's in near Mount Kenya. It's in the bush. It's 360 acres and we have some beautiful wildlife and it's just this actual, it's this natural sanctuary of wildlife in an area that is getting more and more built up. So over time there's, we have over 250 species of birds on the property. We have bushbuck, we have all types of small, we have clawless otter, we have all types of amazing wildlife. Uh, and that was what the initial draw to move to Kenya was, was one day Anna's mother uh, approached her and said, I'm, I'm not sure if I can keep this alive 
it's not quite uh, able to handle itself. It's not paying its bills. Uh, and we might have to let it go. And by letting it go means it would have get cut up, sold off and cut up. And then that in, that entire sanctuary would have, would have probably disappeared. Mm. So we were sitting in Hawaii at the time and we made the decision to, you know, let's, uh, let's risk everything. Uh, it doesn't matter. We're young. We can, we can come up with another tree business sometime if that's what we want to do. Yeah. And we, we moved to Africa full time. Uh, this was wow. back in 2016 and we decided to make a go of trying to save that sanctuary and then continue helping, uh, her mother with the other projects that she had. One of which is the coastal property, the, um, the cabanas. Yeah. And, I guess going straight into it, we did. We went straight to um, the Mount Kenya Lodge, which is called Mukima House. And we reorganized some things. We worked with her mother. We helped make the company efficient. We did all kinds of stuff. And it started It started managing itself. It started being able to support itself, and which was amazing, which was absolutely great yeah, to see. We, we got it stable. And that took about a year, year or two. And then mm-hmm. we decided to do the same down in Lamu at the Cabanas. And how, how far away is that then to the Cabanas? So Kenya's big. Africa's big. You don't yeah. think about it, but it's really big. Mm. And so Mount Kenya to Lamu direct is actually not far. If you were to fly in a direct line, maybe a three-hour flight in a small plane, a small prop plane, uh, Usually we go through Nairobi and it's only from Nairobi. It's only an hour flight on one of the commercial flights, which is great. Um, and then Mount Kenya is about a three hour drive north of Nairobi. So not so far away. Uh, mm. It's it's Kenya's all about. I never thought about Kenya having this amazing coastline, mm. uh, especially I, just, I never heard about the African coastline for uh, save Cape Town when kiting world. Uh, you know, we were never traveling this side. You know, I would hear about Mauritius or I'd hear about Cape Town pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, at least in Hawaii, we never really heard much about this side. And then Kenya's like, it, it lends itself so well to having a beautiful bush safari yeah. and then having that beach, pure Swahili vibe, coastal like vacation, which is amazing. And so we were up in the bush. We had we had done a long time in the bush, and we stay. We got that sanctuary stable, and we decided to go down and live full time at in the uh, at Lamu Island at the Cabanas, and make a go of making that place more efficient and bringing it, it up as well. Because at that time, it had um, some troubles, and we dedicated ourselves to that. And that took us a, the last five years and we've created it to where it is today, which has been an incredible journey. And, um, well, firstly, congratulations, uh, because that Thank sounds you. like quite, um, a jump, quite a risk, a challenge to take on, especially as a young age to do so. So it's a great message to everyone that actually taking risks and, and going for things like that can, you know, you can be rewarded for that. And it sounds like you're in a great place now. And so you've done five years um, down there and it is now a Duotone Pro Center, which we'll get on to talk about 
um, yeah. in a minute. And I, I want to know what the kite surfing's like. I'm going to get straight in there. What, what are the conditions like? Because that obviously must play a part. I mean, it must be nice having a nice coastline and safari looking um, areas, but the wind's got to be good, right? You tell me. Yeah. And that's, that's what's kind of the incredible part about it is when I landed there, my first trip ever to Kenya, I just kind of couldn't believe it. The kiting is so good. Just so good. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, you and I, we've competed across the world together and we've been to some pretty cool places Mm. and it just kind of molds all of these things that I used to want to see in a location into one. So it is, you're in the middle of nowhere and it really has that vibe and that feeling. There's no big buildings. There's no roads on the island. It's only by boat um, transport or by donkey, which is what uh, a lot of, that's what all the building materials are moved by. It's using donkeys, uh, all of our, if we have to move any material, it's all by donkeys. There's no cars, no trucks. Course, so nice. Wow. It's amazing. So you have this pure African middle of the nowhere vibe. The coastline is rugged, but it's also it's there's so much beach. So you have that ruggedness to it, but you also have the friendliness where it's all sand. Yeah. And where we're where we're situated, we're on the we're on this point, on this this little point of the island. And so we have this wraparound zone where we can kite. And there's this massive sandbar, probably sticks out a mile into the ocean, by almost by a mile up. So it's like a square mile of big sandbar, which at low tide is between ankle all the way to maybe chest deep water. So flat, so flat water, good flat. for beginners. Uh, well, any, Great well, for beginners. Way, you yeah. can, if you lose your board, you stand right up. It's all sand. There's no rocks. It's just incredible for that. You, it's forgiving. It's this big forgiving yeah. place in the middle of nowhere and there's not another single there's no no other no other kiter there's no traffic there's no tangles there's no one else around which is just amazing so a busy day is how many people kiting there it's just whoever we have usually at our spot every once in a while we'll get some cool drop-in um guys traveling through like local um kiters from down the coast or something will come up for a trip but like a busy day if we if i have if we are out there do a ton personers running we have three or four lessons out and then we have maybe three or four rentals out and everyone's just enjoying themselves. It's less than 10 people on the water. Wow. So, so, so really that the message here to any listeners is that if you want to get somewhere where, um, it's, it's quiet and peaceful and there's no cars and everyday life that maybe people want to escape, it sounds like, uh, sounds like your place there is, is the place to go. And even beyond that, it, I remember a place, I don't know if you ever went to Coche in Venezuela. Yeah, I did. And yeah. Coche was good conditions, but it wasn't the most amazing place to, to be. Uh, yeah. At least when we were there uh, way back in the day, we always would get sick. The food wasn't amazing. You know, I'm sorry to any Venezuelans out there that I'm saying this, but it was, you know, it wasn't the most amazing place to spend three weeks. And we would, we'd go down there and we'd compete and it was quite rough. And but the conditions were amazing and it was worth it. It was worth mm. doing that, you know, having a bit hardships on the, on the land for the amazing conditions on yeah, the water. It was all about the kiting that place. That it was, was all about the kiting. And that's, what's amazing about it is where we are is it is, it's this pure, almost solitary, safe place to kite. The wind is super stable and 
we have literally five-star luxury resort on beach right at the kite spot. Wow. So you're not sacrificing anything. In fact, I mean, to use the, you know, the cliche, the man who wants to go kite and he has his family. And if he wants to go somewhere where it is super, um, he can, he can leave the family at the resort, the, you know, the entire family, we have a spa, we have amazing food. We have chefs with the best fresh fish or, I mean, vegan recipes, if you would like healthy food, we have water sports, wakeboarding, water ski, all of that. And he can literally be outside kiting on this butterflat water or in like chest high waves. It's amazing. My wife is, my wife's going to want to go here straight away with our baby. I can, uh, I can hear the way this is going. And I, I reckon there's plenty of people listening here thinking, do you know what? Got a honeymoon that's uh, supposed to be planned somewhere. Maybe I can get away with going somewhere like this where I can kite as well. <laughs> as well. It sounds like the best of both worlds. It really is. And I'm not just saying that it just really is. And it's the best for everyone. It's a family destination. It's a it's a romantic getaway, or it's a pure full on kiteboarding destination. You can make of it as you will, and it's it's pretty special. And it's quite amazing that my wife's mother found this place, mm. and uh, it just happened to be this amazing kiting location. It's amazing. <laughs> the, the family link is something that uh, really comes across in in the way you're talking to me now that the fact that you actually went over to try and save somewhere that was so linked to the family and then you've moved on to somewhere else which is also within the family that just must be that must feel so amazing and I have seen some of the images as well online and it looks it does look like a really peaceful place to be to go and kite surf but something I want to move on and ask you which is something I don't actually have um, down on my questions but I'm fortunate enough to have spent some time with you and your brother and I I get an idea of what sort of guys you two are but really I want to know from you living somewhere like this as you've described how, how good is that for your mental health and well-being yeah I mean that is a very good point and tying it all in it's been an amazing journey and as you said a little bit ago leaving maui as a young man i was in my 20s i I think i left at 26 is when i moved from maui and i had a running business and an income which is amazing in you know in this day and age Mm -hmm. and we left all of that behind and we came to kenya and Anna, my wife, she, she's told me something back then and I didn't really understand it. And, but it's been so true is that you don't, you can't plan for what it will come, uh, especially out here. There's so many turns and bends in the journey, so many wild card situations. And it's just been this insane wild ride of self-growth, self-learning, uh, self-discovery. I'm a completely different person from when I came here six, seven years ago to where I am now. Obviously, I've been growing up as well. You know, it's time in, in life where you yeah. learn, but it's just been this amazing learning experience. So, I mean, just touching on mental health and touching on everything we do is I've, I've discovered that I'm addicted to learning. I'm addicted to problem solving, usually with hands-on issues uh, as well as tech. So with these hospitality companies um, in Mount Kenya and at Lamu, 
you're you're in remote areas, so you have to figure out things yourself. Uh, there's no one you can really call and say, "Hey, I need some help. Can you be here in the next hour?" The mm-hmm. the solar system's gone down, or the Wi-Fi is not working, or the plumbing has exploded and we have a massive leak. <laughs> so, I've actually amazingly uh, I've I've picked up all of that. So I'm now a solar engineer. I install all the solar, I install and maintain all of our solar for all of our companies, as well as I'm starting to do, um, installs for, for friends, which is really cool. Um, and it's been amazing to learn as well as I've, I realized I love dealing with internet networks, which is the most geeky thing. And I love it. I'm such a geek. And I'm, I send our internet, our Wi-Fi networks across 300 acres or miles across his neighbors. And I now run professional networks for people over here, which is really amazing. Um, I do all of my own electrical work. I do all of my own plumbing. It's just been this absolutely fascinating discovery of, I mean, also frustrating, don't get me wrong, but it's been mm. a, amazing to the journey of to where I've become. And I think Kenya itself and also just the support and this of my wife, just how it, it, it lends itself to you pushing yourself in ways you never knew. And then it just rewards itself so well. So, I mean, from a day-to-day mental health perspective, I'm just so blown away when I think about where I've come from to where mm. I am now. And it's just been this amazing journey. Wow, I, d- I don't know where to start with, with what I've just heard there because I I really feel like every single human, you know, the purpose is as a human is is to learn. But I really feel that perhaps with all the distractions in life that there are today, that sometimes we don't spend enough time actually learning. And and the environment you've put you chosen to be in. It sounds like it's an absolute dream place to be learning and wanting to learn. And it sounds like it becomes addictive, like you said, and, and all the things you've learned. I mean, one of those things would be quite special, like the Internet, but, you know, plumbing and solar and, and all these other things you've picked up. It sounds like it's um, really a result of the environment that you've you've put yourself in. Do, do you see this come across in the guests, even if they only spend two two weeks or so there? Can you see them change? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's such a raw place uh, in so many ways. And it's so it's humbling. You're around a lot of people that despite maybe not having that flashy car in the Western countries, they're super happy. And you start learning more about the Kenyan, like a local Kenyan, and where they've been and what they've done and their hardships and also their successes. And it really is quite amazing. I think also, I mean, materialism, it's, it's, Nairobi is a buzzing city, don't get me wrong. And you can get all kinds of likes of everything you would like. Um, it's a food hub, all of these things. But at the same time, you start going outside Nairobi where our locations are and you can't, you can't be a materialistic, like you can't have all of, you can't just want, I want the brand new iPhone. Uh, your, your lead time on that is a long way. Mm. <laughs> So you have to drop that sense of everything you're used to on a day-to-day life in the Western culture of, I want, I'm going to order on Amazon and it's going to arrive that same day, or yeah. if not that next day, that just doesn't exist. If I need something, 
I, if I travel to the UK, <laughs> I got to make it. I got to figure it out. I mean, I literally, when I'm coming back from the UK or something, I'll have random screws and washers and bits and maybe a tap <laughs> or two. I'll have an electrical outlet. I'll have all this random stuff in my bag. But that's because yeah. that's all the little things I want exactly. And, and you just, you appreciate it so much more because it's not just at your fingertips. And I think that's really good. So you, and we see it in the guests, the longer they spend with us, we get a lot of high powered lawyers per se outside out of London and they have very, very stressful jobs. And the longer they spend with us, the more, I mean, I guess human or just down to earth and grounded that mm. you can see almost their shoulders relax after a couple of days. And it's really, it's really satisfying after someone has come to a location like where what Anna and I have built um, yeah. along with her mother. And it's so satisfying when we watch that person leave and they're a completely different person. They're just, they're relaxed. They're a bit more centered. They've eaten amazing food. They've been around some amazing people, learned a bit more about this culture. Yeah, it's really cool when it's get passed on to the guest. All right, Sean, I want you to describe uh, a perfect day of kite surfing where you are, how windy it is, what sort of conditions you have, flat, is there waves? Like, what is the perfect day out there? Cool. All right. So lately, you don't have to, but lately we've been enjoying, uh, we hop in the boat. We have a really cool boat. We throw all the toys in the boat. So I'll throw a directional in, I'll throw a foil in, and I'll throw a twin tip in, depending on what the obviously the wind's doing. Uh, I'll probably be on a either a nine or a twelve uh, meter kite, and we'll then drive out to the tip of the sandbar. So I, I earlier I mentioned that there's this big sandbar that sticks out into the ocean, mm -hmm. and at low tide it's it's mostly exposed. So we'll then go and anchor off the tip of the sandbar. So you're already starting literally in the ocean, and you're about a mile off the main beach. And you just have this amazingly butter flat condition. So, and from there you have all the toys and you can decide what do I want to do? So I can hop into the deep water, go into the ocean and take my foil and just explore. And that's what's so, you can just go up and down the coast and you can go for as long as you'd like and you can just explore the areas. We got some uh, other beaches you can go check out. And that's kind of my afternoon after work meditation almost i'll just go out and i'll hop on the foil and i'll just go up the coast for a couple miles and it's just so fun to do uh or i can decide and i can go hop into the waves that break onto the sandbar so we got this nothing to nothing to rival a good maui day but you can't beat the crowd and mm -hmm. it's maybe chest to head high beautiful it's a bit wild, but super fun for strapless or just going and just having a great time in the waves. And that's always a really good one. Although usually my go-to, and I don't know about you, but is I grab the twin tip and I'll just be riding that butterflat water. And I'll usually probably jump a couple sandbars here and there. I'll try to go as fast as possible. I'll try to have my spray as big as possible. I'll just go and enjoy this huge sandbar with little islands everywhere, butterfly water and really smooth wind. Yeah, that, that would, that would the, probably be me, the twin tip. Yeah. You, you said that, right. I do rely on my twin tip. <laughs> uh, it's just so much fun and it's, it's so playful and yeah, I love it. So that's, if I'm going out, my perfect day would be probably the hopping on that twin tip and just, just playing around in, in with all the little islands on the sandbar. 
that's what I would do. And it's just amazing. So, so you said uh, nine and 12, possibly. Um, I'm, I'm interested, actually, what models you'd take, which nine and 12 would you take with all of those mm. disciplines? You know, would you take the, I'm sure you don't throw in every single model, which ones are going to cover you for that? You know, I'm kind of having a pull more often than not to grab that Rebel SLS. That is one awesome kite. Yeah, it's a booster, isn't it? That is a booster. Oh, I just love power and I, I love, even I'll loop it. I really, I love, I love having that more stronger, really powerful kite, but then I love how quick it is. So it's kind of molding all those in. And I always feel that there's more in the kite. If, mm. I don't know if I'm explaining that. I can always, there's more for me to learn about yeah. how it moves. Where you get the rock solid kites like the Neo. The Neo is super fun, not as powerful, but then I'm out there doing double kite loops and just whipping it all over the place and usually destroying myself. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, or, you know, you're hopping in the waves. And But with the Rebel, I always feel that it's like a wise old man that I'm trying to figure out how he wants to fly best all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought I knew the Rebel pretty well and then these these young guns have taken it to another level on the team right now so i'm having to relearn how i think <laughs> i knew all of the big air was on more c-shaped kites how it's how it's done now on on rebels really which is pushing the way it's um it's a learning process for me but it sounds like a place you could really go and develop all of your skills as a kiteboard you know i was interested i didn't know that it was so good for foiling where you are twin tip and being on a surfboard. And I don't think there's many places that actually can boast those conditions on the same session by the sounds of it. You can just switch and, and, and change discipline like that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can grab, yeah, you would take all the all the things out. You don't, I mean, and it's just there. It's all there for the taking. And yeah, it's, I'd say it's strong. Like the strongest conditions uh, for it, it would be the foiling and the freestyle or just the free riding. Mm -hmm. And then the waves is if you just want to go out and have a really good time and playful and develop your wave riding skills, then it's perfect for that. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not going to, you know, there's no double overhead waves, but it's a really fun, just head high, chest high slasher. Well, perhaps because you have been brought up in um, Maui, Sean, <laughs> you think chest to head high is just pretty average but i can tell you there'll be a lot of people listening like myself here thinking that's like world-class <laughs> surf you know <laughs> like you don't always get those sorts of waves so it's, it does sound like um that discipline is also quite covered where you are yeah it's it's it really is a unique place and i definitely have those days even after kiting for 20 years i have those days where i pinch myself and i, and I say to myself like that was that was really fun that's an important thing to mention. Um, now you've been kite surfing 20 years or more. I have as well. And to, to keep excited about the sport and to keep wanting to learn, um, it takes going to the right places, but you certainly sound like you've done that. Now, part of your passion, um, is to coach people. And it's something I'm reading here that you offer to the clients and the guests to come down and, and do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And what, what, what part of, of that is it that you're interested in as, as a coach myself? I, lo I love doing it. I'm interested from your perspective, what you love about, uh, coaching, coaching different aspects of kiteboarding. <laughs> It's, it's, I have actually seen you coach before and it's really cool the way you do it, by the way. Oh, thank, um, thank you. And 
for me, it's after we've been kiting for so long, certain aspects of the basic maneuvers, sometimes, I mean, we don't really know how we do it. We just do mm. it. And it's really quite interesting and fun when I'm looking at a student who is either a good kiter, but they're struggling. And so many of these small struggles that a good kiter will have will be really simple things. And I really enjoy following a student for a good maybe 20 minutes and I'm analyzing everything about them. Where are they putting their kite? How are they positioning their weight on their board? What's their posture like? Where are their hands on the bar? And it's so, I, I love that moment where I come to the student and I just will say, cool, all right, move your hands in a little bit, kite a little bit higher, move your weight back on your board and uh, try it now. And they're like, okay. And then all of a sudden they're rocketing up wind and they're just like, what, that was it? <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's, it's, when it happens like that, it's great. <laughs> but those yeah, moments okay. happen, but it's I not always easy. I am describing the perfect situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's for sure. But you do. It's important to 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 mention that you do have you do have that, don't you? Sometimes it clicks, and then other times it's a a, a whole different challenge. Give, give me some other examples of some some coaching experiences you've had out there. It. I mean, it's because we're in the middle of nowhere. It's very private. We don't have to worry about traffic, which is nice. So I get to have this very intimate one-on-one -on -one experience with the student. And it's almost where I, I enjoy coaching, but I also enjoy guiding in a way. I want to guide whoever it might be through an experience that they're going to have a good, the best time possible. So we'll work on, we'll work on anything that they want to improve, but at the same time, little things where I'll, I'll determine where's the best win today. What's the best gear for them? Mm -hmm. Where are we going to go today? Like that's the best for their type of riding. Yeah. And that I really enjoy that. I enjoy making sure that the person has the best session possible. Yeah. I feel like yeah. what you're I feel like what you're describing here is the is cracking the code of each individual human, which is an important part of coaching because the same message doesn't get through the same way to everybody, but the best way you can learn someone's code is to get to know them and I and I, and I guess you do really get to know them at your spot. Well, absolutely. And then, I mean, going back to the, because I've been doing it and we've been doing it for so long and I have teetered in the past with burning out and I have burnt out on kiting. Mm. Uh, so I'm always conscious of that. And I never want to push myself to the point where I get to that again, because I love kiting now and I love where I'm at with it. Yeah. So with that, I'm not, I, I won't be able to do factory line, pump out the lessons, just get it done. I want to know, like, I want to get involved with my students. I want to learn about their lives. I want them to become a friend. And then yeah. I have a personal connection. It's this fun experience. And I'm literally just guiding my friend to be, become a better fighter. Well, for all the people listening, I think that is um, something. May, may, do you think you need that too? This is the place you need to go, you know, maybe unlock that next level of your kiteboarding and perhaps that next level of your of yourself so we're going to move on now we're not far away from wrapping this up now but i've got a couple more questions for you sean and uh i, I mean you've you've always followed your passion here clearly it, you know you're, you've been a professional kite surfer you've stuck close to it and you've managed to stay passionate with it and engineer a way of it being you know your job really or your uh, to become a better word really is your income or your your livelihood 
what advice would you have for people listening that are thinking that they're, they're really passionate about something? Uh, maybe it's not kite surfing, maybe it's something else, but they're not close enough to it as a, as a job or everyday life. How can they try and do this as well? Yeah, I, I'm a massive, just, I, I would say for, as far as my experience goes, slightly riskier towards the passion side of your life is what has driven me to where I am today. And by risking leaving what I knew in Maui, uh, and a stable and quite good uh, income and, just absolutely throwing that all into the wind, following love. I have the most supportive, amazing wife I could have ever asked for. Uh, and risking just on a day-to-day basis. And I've just decided to learn as much as I possibly can. And it's got me to where I am today. And I'm so proud of where my wife and I have come. We've overcome huge struggles uh, and hardships. We've, we've at the moment, we're continuing to save that sanctuary near Mount Kenya. And we're now moving more and more into the, the health, the wellness, the mindfulness, the, the just being a better people on this world and giving back as much as possible and sharing that with as many people as possible. And I'm just so happy with where we've got to. It really comes across. It makes me want to be there. It makes, and I'm sure there's lots of other people listening, thinking, "Well, I want to live like that." You know, like it's um, sounds awesome, Sean. It really does. It really is, and you're going to have to come out and join sometime. By the way, yeah. But oh yeah, I am. I, I definitely think I am going to be out there. Cool. Yeah, you're anytime. It'd be so fun to have you out here. And yeah, on it, it's just, it's been an amazing ride. And I would say, follow your passions, follow your heart. And, but you definitely dedicate yourself and the road is not a straight line. Um, It's definitely all over the place. But if you, if you really put your mind and effort into it, I I believe that you can overcome huge challenges and you can become super proud of who you are every day. Well, I'm on my, onto my last question for you now, Sean. And I think it's a very fitting question to ask from hearing all about who you are, who your partner is, your your values and your beliefs, um, and the amazing duotone pro center that you have down there. Because I know a bit about your career and I know it didn't really it didn't necessarily start with duotone. I want to know why you've partnered with duotone for this pro center down there. Yeah. Uh it's quite funny how and how we partnered with Duotone. And it's been, once again, as you say, you know, you've known a bit about my career and my journey. And, you know, unfortunately, I have jumped around to quite a few companies, but at the same time, it has been 20 years. So I guess maybe Mm. it's been a long time. Um, So I've been with a lot of other companies and there's a ton of amazing people in this industry uh, and sport. Uh, It was... I was chatting to Jesse actually, and Jesse told me I should chat to Sky Sobak out in Maui. Yeah. And I chatted with Sky a little bit, and Sky has always been a good friend. And he passed me over to Sebastian in um, the Duotone Pro Center side and marketing side. And I've never encountered in 20 years of kiting such a organized, such a, it came across super passionate. 
and just well-run oil company that mm. that was presented to me all of a sudden. I hopped on five Zoom calls within four days and we started chatting and it was way less about the technical financial or deliverable side of it and more about the passion the this is such a cool collaboration this is this is a beautiful place let's let's make this happen and that really came across and i was blown away by that mm. and I, you know, I'm always, I was always hesitant. It's like, when is this going to stop? But it, it hasn't stopped. The company's been so supportive of everything we've been do- been doing. They were so happy to, uh, to collaborate with us. We've, we've worked on all of the, the, the material, the branding, setting up the Duotone Pro Center website. There's a whole team that's just so passionate about what they do. And then the gear, the gear is just for me, it's on another level. I've ridden a lot of gear in my life, as 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 have you. And when that first when that first shipment of stuff of, of gear arrived, I was just blown away. And I just keep on playing, and still I I keep on playing, and I keep on like, what do I want to ride today? Do I want to ride the the Neo? Or do I want to ride the Rebel? Or you know, it's just it's always super fun to choose and to have that huge scope of well-designed equipment uh, was, is just super fun. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing, um, almost like we've been setting it up for about a year and we've been running for maybe about six months, um, officially just about a month or two. And it's, it's been an amazing journey already just on that. I thought it'd been, I didn't know it was so short, actually. It looks like it's been going for quite a lot longer than that. The, the partnership, yeah, it's it's quite new, and I've I I kept on trying to. I had this location. I mean, through Anna and her family and everything we've been doing, we have the location, and I knew the potential. And it was just about finding that right person or company and brand to to realize the potential. And it's really amazing that Duotone realized it, and then have been so supportive of developing it into what it is now. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's worked out so so nice for you. And just to just to echo that, really, I think you know the, the depth of personnel in so many different positions in the brand, and the, and the passion, like you said, from the people that wanted to partner and the people that that make the gear. I, that's something I very much felt as well for over seven years now, actually. And I think the best thing about being part of the family is this um, the fact that they are empowering people to really be themselves i feel like i really am on board to be myself and that i'm different in that way and it brings something different to the table absolutely and it's it's just amazing when you find a group of people that that work towards that yeah you work together and and not against which is what it's about but that is going to be the end of our interview sean so thank you very much for joining us it's my absolute pleasure thanks for having me And I hope to get out to visit you one day. Anytime. Let me know. (laughs) Thank you. It's Lewis Cratton. And that is another podcast inside the world of Duotone. Join us next time. (laughs) 